Hello and welcome to the third episode of Harley's Expert Review Podcasts for 2023. My name is Atiqul Sony Hussein, and I'm a global head of Harley's regulatory and tax practice. In this episode, we'll be taking a whistle-stop tour through current regulatory trends and innovations impacting the global virtual assets industry. In this regard, I'm delighted to be joined by not one, but two experts. Firstly, Brett Hillis, partner at Reed Smith in London. Hello, Brett. Hi, Aki. Good to be here. Good to have you. We're also joined by our own homegrown crypto expert, Mark Piano at Harneys and based in the Cayman Islands. Hello, Mark. Hi, Aki. Thank you very much for inviting me on. Great to be here. So first, a couple of questions from me, and then I'll hand over to our experts. So firstly, Brett, we've heard about your experience, but what initiatives or cases have you been involved in as regards digital assets that you think would be of particular interest to our listeners? Thanks, Aki. So a few different things have been sort of keeping me busy in this space. I sort of advise on crypto and digital asset exchange-traded products. So effectively, these are listed bonds which are backed by digital assets and give exposure to digital assets. And they're really interesting, I suppose, sort of coming together of TradFi and kind of blockchain and kind of digital assets technology. And so we see on those projects, you know, whatever is happening in the digital assets world, be it sort of the introduction of Ethereum staking, the Ethereum fork last year, you know, changes to custody arrangements, All of these things sort of flow through and we need to kind of advise clients on how to sort of maintain these programs, amend the programs to kind of take account of these things. That's a kind of ongoing project that I've been involved in for about sort of five years. I also am doing a lot in the crypto derivative space. So we're seeing a lot of clients come through looking to put in place documentation, some of which sort of follows the kind of ISDA definitions. Very often, though, we're seeing clients who want to do something a little bit different to that, and we've been helping them. And then just more generally, like a whole range of regulatory analysis that we're doing for clients who are sort of looking to do financings, develop sort of structured products and kind of other offerings that use sort of some form of digital assets or digital asset technology. From a legal perspective, they're really interesting projects because it's almost every facet of regulation. Your knowledge of that needs to be brought to bear in this area because very often you find on a sort of particular product, you're asking yourself a question, is it a derivative? Is it a deposit? Is it electronic money? Is it a payment service? All of these things kind of can come up. So it's a really interesting area and really enjoy it. Thank you very much, Brett. Yeah, I think I think we definitely see a lot of interaction between crypto and crypto derivatives in our space as well. So over to you, Mark. Same question, if I may. What's been keeping you busy and what do you think would be of particular interest to our listeners? If you asked me that question six months ago, I'd have probably given you a different answer. It's a very fast moving space, particularly around the products and the services which are being offered. It's a very fast moving regulatory landscape as well. We've got events going on in the US as of the time of going to publication where we're seeing aggressive enforcement action being taken. 
different views on that. But also more globally, we're seeing a framework of regulation around virtual asset service providers starting to be implemented, particularly in the Cayman Islands, where that first part was introduced in 2020. Second part is due to come into effect. And the British Virgin Islands, which had its law introduced in February and will take effect and registrations need to be in by end of July. We've, of course, also got Cyprus and other EU jurisdictions with the introduction of Mika, which I'm sure you, Aki and Brett, will have a, an interesting discussion around, although it doesn't really affect too much what we do here in Cayman and the BVI. Despite the regulatory needle threading which needs to be done and careful structuring and risk assessments and horizon scanning as part of that, given how quickly that space is developing, the client needs are also changing as well. What was a relatively well-established structure is now becoming increasingly bespoke, depending on what the client requirements are. For example, if a client wants a permissioned DAO, and we'll talk about DAOs later on in this podcast, no doubt, then the structure and the activities of that structure in support of that permissioned DAO might be different to those set up to support DeFi protocol, for example, decentralized finance. We're also seeing trends in market activities. So NFTs are starting to make a comeback after a very quite a few months following the collapse of Luna's impact on the NFT market and more the wider market. So we have to be constantly aware of developments, not just in the legal and regulatory space, but the movement of the sector as a whole, potential trends coming up. They tend to feed through with a bit of a lag in terms of client instructions. And one we're seeing at the moment, which is particularly interesting, is real-world asset tokenization. And this is a concept of taking more traditional financial instruments, such as debt instruments, potentially treasury bills, once that starts to become more established, and tokenizing those in such a way that those underlying assets or the rights in respect of them, if there are rights attributed to the token rather than just an economic interest, in a way that allows those to be traded on chain with a very interesting mix between traditional finance and all the regulatory requirements that go with that and the application of those financial services regulations and laws to what used to be a less regulated space but is now increasingly regulated. I think what we're also seeing is much more of an evolution of the mindset of the participants in this space. The idea a few years ago of this is new, therefore we need new laws or the existing laws don't apply, that's fallen away and I think has been brought to sharp relief with recent legal and regulatory enforcement action. So we're trying to build these structures to enable the technology to achieve what it has the potential to achieve, but also making sure that the participants stay on the right side of the law and also ensuring that their optics and reputation are protected as well, because reputation is incredibly important in this space. So it's a very broad remit. We're saying with Brett just before we started this call that the skill set required to work in this area is indeed very broad and you need to have a strong grounding in the main areas of law and practice that feed into this area. Brett, how are you seeing things develop in the UK and particularly the interaction with Mika and the impending regulations around financial promotions for crypto, for example, as well as what the SCA is doing generally in this space? How have you seen the practice evolve? It's interesting. So I think there's a kind of global trend at the moment, probably outside the US. We can leave the US aside and I think we should definitely uh, come back to that. But you're seeing in the UK, the EU, Hong Kong, sort of Singapore, you're seeing sort of development of regulatory regimes around kind of service provision in this space, which are going beyond just kind of AML, but are are more looking at more traditional, I suppose, financial services kind of regulatory regimes. And so in the UK, the UK is on that path. So Treasury consulted earlier this year on bringing digital assets within the scope of the regulated activities order so they'd be treated as sort of specified investments. 
And the UK is also extending the scope of the sort of financial promotion regime in the UK. So that's the UK regime relating to the marketing of sort of securities and financial services and financial products. So that regime is being extended to cover digital assets. And that will interestingly apply to not just to kind of UK firms, but it'll apply to international overseas firms where they are promoting transactions in crypto assets to UK customers. I think we're expecting to sort of see is that people will need to look again at their sort of strategies for kind of reaching kind of customers in the UK because that will need to change to kind of take account of this. And some of the requirements are quite specific. But I think the sort of bigger picture with the UK is that we're seeing the introduction of, I suppose, a predictable system of regulation around this area. It's not fully in place yet. The key point is these transactions, these assets, these products, this market's not going to be banned there, but it is going to be regulated. And I think we're going to see a sort of similar result kind of elsewhere. Maybe to sort of bring it sort of back on the the kind of the offshore sort of jurisdiction side. I mean, is that kind of trend something you're seeing, Mark, in the offshore jurisdictions? Is it a sort of a similar approach that's being taken or, or, or are there some sort of nuances? Good question. I think the offshore position here is different to the extent that a lot of the structures here are that through which the project comes into existence. And so they're less focused on marketing in these jurisdictions and more about setting up the structure, issuing the token from, say, a British Virgin Islands company, then having a vehicle which supports the project or the protocol in both its operations, but also its governance. And given the small populations of these islands, there's not as much of a market for the potential user base. And so the focus here is more on what's the right structure to set up to allow this project to exist and to continue operating and to be governed in a decentralized manner, especially with the introduction of virtual asset service provider laws in Cayman, the BVI, and pretty much everywhere else. If they're not there, they will be. That creates a very interesting interplay with the structuring considerations, the token issuance, the operational day-to-day activities. And for projects which have been around for a while, they may need to either register, restructure, or redomicile. And that's just the reality of it now. We had a period of time in which the regulators were still getting to grips with what this asset class was and how it worked. Then when the virtual asset service provider guidance came down from the Financial Action Task Force, or the recommendations, sorry, there was then an impetus to implement that into local law. But even then, we need to make sure that the implementation is is appropriate for the jurisdiction, as long as the key FATF requirements are, are enshrined. We're seeing in some jurisdictions, they're going a step further than the FATF. So in Cayman, for example, they're capturing public issuances as requiring registration under the VASP regime. In the BVI, the view is that public issuances are not covered, but that does not necessarily mean you can do so without any regard to the other laws. Every company, almost everywhere in the world, has an obligation to prevent money laundering, for example, or to ensure that they're not in breach of sanctions regimes. Even if a particular set of sanctions regimes doesn't apply to an offshore jurisdiction, at some point, they may want access to the market or for financial services in a jurisdiction which does have a sanctions regime. So it's generally a good idea to comply with that. Tax driving is also particularly crucial for these structures. We will set these up, but we always say to clients, you must take your own local tax advice, not just where the founders are located, but any onshore jurisdictional company which may develop the protocol or provide services to it. You need to make sure that you take the local tax advice here. 
even though Cayman and the BVI has no direct taxation, that doesn't mean you can set stuff up here and offer things around the world without any regard for local tax, legal, regulatory consequences. So it's a very much a, a synchronistic approach with onshore law firms who are well regarded in the space, such as Reed Smith, and who understand what the risks are and how best to advise clients. And it's quite a good interplay there because it makes sure that the projects are covered with onshore considerations and offshore considerations. So we're seeing the structures based here. The foundation company model in particular is very popular, in part because it doesn't require members. And in the absence of members, you have something called a supervisor. They exercise the voting rights. It does create some friction around expectations of clients, particularly if there are no members to whom limited liability can be extended. But it does allow a vehicle, a corporate structure with its own legal personality, to interact with the world, sign contracts, hold assets, and so on, but have as its objects those of supporting the DAO, the DeFi protocol, the project, whatever. And you can build in certain provisions into that foundation's constitutional documents to require it to act on the instructions of the DAO. So it removes an element of discretion. And then depending on the activities of the foundation or other entities in that corporate structure, you then need to see how the vast virtual asset service provider laws apply if they do. securities laws, and so on. Even though it might be a memberless structure and it may be offshore, it will still be subject to VASP laws, securities laws, and so on. What we're seeing is the similar to funds in many respects. You have some tax-neutral activity taking place offshore, then the tax consequences are borne by the people participating. You may find that projects have foundation or offshore structures which they're not connected with, but nonetheless, they are indirectly connected with through owning a company that provides services to that offshore structure. There are still tax consequences, still regulatory obligations. Issuing a token from the BVI does not obviate the need to comply with local financial promotions and securities laws in the jurisdictions you're offering it in. We then see that scope expand. More and more activities are either run through the offshore structure or they set up more onshore vehicles to, for example, hold and exploit IP or to develop new products and services. And then another project spins out of that, and we're asked to structure that separately. So it's very dynamic. We're having to constantly be aware of regulatory developments globally and make sure that we align our clients' expectations that just because you've got an offshore structure, which has many benefits in and of itself, one of those benefits is not, A, you're fully exempt from any laws onshore, and B, it's not going to give you a shield for all liabilities past, present, and future, and that's particularly important for DAOs. So what I was going to ask, Brett, from your perspective, How do you see the landscape evolving? And we touched on this briefly in your previous response. Do you see jurisdictions as ambivalent towards crypto, vaguely tolerant, they kind of have to regulate it, or do they see a role for digital assets within the wider economy of, of, of the UK, for example? Well, like Rishi Sunak has always appeared to have been positive and embracing of crypto. How much of that is it is inevitable and we have to deal with it? And how much of that is there is a political openness to the potential of this technology and its role in the economy? So I think with the UK, it's really interesting because I think the position has developed over time. So I did quite a bit of work helping companies register under the UK AML registration regime, which was introduced sort of two or three years ago. And at the time, there was a sense that the kind of FCA was almost kind of anti-crypto. And certainly what I had kind of heard and certainly the mood music and the feeling around the market was that that was the case. Since then, I think the UK government and the UK regulators really kind of changed. So I attended last year the FCA's crypto 
Sprint, which was a kind of two-day event, looking at the future regulation of these markets around custody, decentralized finance, and around disclosure. And the FCA and Treasury made all the right noises. What I think I'm kind of pleased with is the way now that Treasury in particular is responding to these markets. You know, their consultation earlier in the year around bringing these within the regulatory scope, I think, was good. And they seem to be adopting a sort of reasonably sensible course, building off good elements in the existing regulatory kind of landscape in the UK, not going too far, which is always a kind of danger with UK regulations. So I think there is a sense that the UK wants to be at the forefront of this. It's not perfect because I think there's a UK government kind of bandwidth is a little bit limited by sort of all the other things that it's still sort of dealing with even post-Brexit. But there is a sense generally, not just in this, but in kind of AI and kind of other areas, they do want to be sort of at the forefront. And I think they have an opportunity to, I think, sort of carve a niche as a a sensible, well-respected jurisdiction that regulates in a proportionate way. Some people in the sector think it doesn't move quickly enough, but I don't think they are cognizant of just what goes into the process of understanding a space, creating a regulatory position, really testing that in terms of making sure that's aligned with a policy position, and then consultation and then publication. Clients want certainty. They'd rather have certainty of regulation if they are going to be regulated. I think the days of people jumping around jurisdictions to arbitrage on the lack of appropriate regulation are either time limited or over. And if nothing else, if the market as a whole is moving in this space, then it's actually going to be a positive and a reputational optics are better if you're regulated in an appropriate jurisdiction rather than trying to cling on to the argument of, oh, we're decentralized, therefore we shouldn't be regulated. I mean, I don't know about you. I still have projects which claim they're decentralized. I think that is a term of art. There is a benefit to substantial and defensible decentralization, but it's still more of a marketing term rather than a practical structure and operations. With thanks to our experts, Brett and Mark, for an introduction into the complex web of issues that must clearly be at the forefront of anyone seriously exploring this industry. We hope that you found today's podcast helpful. Brett and Mark will return for a second part of this podcast on digital assets, examining the role of decentralization, the relatively restrictive position that the US has adopted on crypto, and understanding whether MICA, the EU's markets in crypto assets regulations, really is all it's cracked up to be. 